Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm going to focus this morning on what I'm calling the gathering. They're in fear were the disciples of the Lord on the day of resurrection, the night of the day of the resurrection, not really knowing what to do. And the thing about the resurrection period, between Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost, things happen. And things happen for the good of the church, which the church had not developed at that time. But uh, I'd like to go through some of these things with you. The gathering is in John uh, chapter 20, verse 19, that I'm thinking of in particular. There is a complementary verse in Luke in chapter 24, starting in verse 36. They kind of tell a different story, but we'll see that it is the same story. Different authors, different witnesses see things a little bit differently, but in the end it's the same. Now the reason I want to focus on this is because of what I call right now Christian identity. We are the gathering. Right now, we are the church. In our prayer and in our worship, we are representing the universal church. Maybe that's hard to conceive, but that's what we're doing. And it's happening all over the world. We have been constituted as the body of Christ. And so as our rector said in the Sunday school morning, this morning, it's like we're on the ark floating in the world of sin and we're trying to be sanctified uh, by the Lord as we go through this world. We're in this world, we're not of this world. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's a negative thing. We need to learn how to live in this world. We need to learn how to be witnesses in this world. So John, in his, the beginning of his gospel... Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, they're holed up. 
The door is being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Really meaning for fear of the leaders of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace. The Lord of all said to them, Peace. In other words, there's no need to fear because the Lord said, Peace. Now as a church, I'm getting, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but I think it's necessary. We have a fixed form of worship. And that war, uh, fixed form guides us as Jesus has guided the disciples on how to worship Him, how to worship the Lord. And so every Sunday, we have a reading from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, a reading from uh, the Psalms, a reading from the New Testament, and the Gospel. And all of those are appointed. And us who are charged with preaching, uh, we try to reconcile all four of those into one sermon. Sometimes that doesn't seem to work, which requires more study. Now this morning, I always ask the question, how shall we live? The Bible teaches us how we should live. But we have to study the Bible. We have to read the Bible. We have to ingest it. And it takes a while. It took a long time for me, and I'm still working on it. But we have a liturgical order. And churches like ours, which is the Anglican church, is similar to other what we call Catholic churches. Churches who have bishops, priests, and deacons as an order. Because God created the universe out of chaos into order. So the worship of the church needs to be orderly. And that's what we're doing this morning. We've heard the readings. We're hearing the gospel being preached. And we pray. And we worship the Lord. So the word liturgical means the, the work of the people. The praising of God as an assembly. We're together as an assembly of God. The word ecclesia is the base word for ecclesiastical, which means church. So in what I read with Cora, and I'm, you're probably thinking, what does that long chapter have to do with what we're talking about today? I'll get to it, but it's very important of what happened back there with Moses and Aaron. But we are the church. And so we're here in an orderly fashion to remember our Lord. We're here in an orderly fashion that creates a tradition. We didn't create it. It was created for us over time. Things happen. People get together. The early church put together the form that we're worshiping today, which has Hebrew origin. It's our inheritance. It's a gift. And we don't want to destroy that which is given to us. We don't want to destroy our inheritance. There's always somebody around in the world in any age that wants to destroy. We're in the middle of it now in Western civilization. There are forces out there that want to take away our inheritance. They want to start all over. The biggest example you can think of is the French Revolution. They wanted to destroy everything. And they did up until 18, uh, 1794, the reign of terror. They changed the names of the days of the week. They changed the name of the months. They changed the number of days of the week. I mean, they really wanted to destroy everything. 
But there was an opposition to that, the traditionalists, who understood what life was all about. And so we're in the middle of that. So what we do, because of what we believe, is, is a, a, a post in the middle of the wavering society. Our Christian identity is with Jesus. Our Christian identity is to be always on display in one form or the other. And today, together as a gathering, here we are. We're worshiping the Lord. And we're doing a remembrance of what went before. That's why we have our readings. And eventually we will share with the Lord in the Supper of the Holy Communion. Let's look at the different stories because we want to see the work that Jesus conducted during his resurrection. We already know that what we have here is Jesus' surprise. The disciples hold up in the room. That's chapter 20 um, of uh, John. So I want to slip over here to, to Luke. Here's where the stories differ a little bit. But we're learning something because what is happening, the reason I'm going to read some of this is because the nascent church is in formation. And you can read it in, in these. Actually, you can read all four of the Gospels. There's a resurrection section for all four of the versions of the Gospel. But on the first day of the week, this is Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb and taking spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood among them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? That's the first lesson. These were disciples, these were the women, these were disciples of Jesus. They loved him, he loved them. He was gone. They wanted to take care of his body. But these two men in dazzling apparel, apparently they were angels of some sort. Why do you seek the living among the dead? You forgot what Jesus was teaching you all along. Do you not remember that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who with them were told these things and went to the apostles. Okay. They heard these things. Jesus was not there, but they were told He's, he's alive. And what do they do? They run to the other disciples. So here's information transfer, if we can put it in those terms. Now they know something. Not all that they want, but they know something. And so it's developing in their minds. So they run to see the others. Now, Peter and the disciple that, disciple that Jesus loved looked into the tomb, saw the same, same type of thing, and they went home. The drama of this part is that they, they learned something and they had to tell something. 
So when you hear something and read something and you want to tell somebody else, you're going to interpret it. This is what's going on here. And the Bible is telling us this. So we need to pay attention as we read these things, what's going on. So like I said, I think this is the development of the nascent church because Pentecost has not happened yet. Okay? There were these two men who were part of the crowd with this woman who, who left to walk to Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And while they were walking, Jesus appeared to them. They didn't know it was Jesus. And one thing Luke does in his version of the gospel, he, he, he was very good at, at, at uh, writing about when Jesus appears and doesn't appear or simply makes himself unknown or unrecognizable. These two men didn't. And so Jesus said, what are you guys talking about? And he says, what? You must be the only guy that doesn't know what just happened. And so they walked together and they talked. They went on. It was getting late in the evening. And the two men said, well, why don't you, still not knowing it was Jesus, why don't you come and stay here? It's getting dark. That sort of thing. And so that, that's showing hospitality. These disciples of Christ were showing hospitality to Christ and didn't, didn't even know it. And so when they retired, in the breaking of bread, Jesus was recognized by the two men. Their hearts burned. Jesus was telling them who he is. And so one of the things he was saying says, Oh, you foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken already. The prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should be suffer these things? and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus was teaching these two men about himself. Jesus was telling him, these two men, that Moses and the prophets is the interpretive key to who Jesus is. And they heard it themselves, and they knew it. And they got excited. What did they do? They ran back to where all the other disciples were holed up. They had to tell somebody. I mean, you've had good news sometimes, and you want to tell somebody else, you know? Even if they're not interested in it, you tell them, you know, because you're excited. You want to share that. And that's what's happening here. Do you see the development that's going on here? How... He's not dead. He's alive. We saw him. So these two men who were on the way to Emmaus are returning to Jerusalem to find the, the men, the other disciples, to tell him what's going on. Now in, in the version according to Luke, okay, the men who were holed up, it opens this way. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them. Well, these things, all these people, all these other disciples who had already had an appearance of Jesus had come in to tell him all these things. And the two men from Emmaus who went back to Jerusalem, what do you think they said the first time? They said, the Lord has risen indeed. Now going back to my little teaching lesson on liturgics or the liturgical method of our, of our service, you know, this is Eastertide. What do we say? 
The things we have in the prayer book come from the Bible. It's almost 100% from the Bible. I think it's 99.96. But it's all from the Bible. We don't teach anything out of the Bible. And we clergy are not allowed to innovate. If we teach something new, that's innovation. We can't, we can't say something that is not biblically true. Now in John's Gospel, I'll flip back to that. In John's Gospel, he talks about uh, a very emotional scene, as far as I'm concerned, Mary Magdalene. His interpretation of what happened is a little, is a little bit different. And uh, so she, she's weeping, you know, and Jesus, uh, she thinks he's, uh, Mary thinks he's the gardener. Why are you weeping? And she tells him why. And uh, it wasn't until he said one word, her name, Mary, changed the whole thing. He, she knew that that was Jesus. You can hear people. You, you've got friends you know, on the phone, even if they don't say who, who they are. You know who they are because you, you know their sound. Mary knew Jesus' voice. This morning in adult Sunday school, we were talking about sheep. Sheep know their master. I remember the story where in a crossroads well, let's say in the Middle East somewhere, there was a shepherd and a hundred sheep going from south to north. And there was another shepherd with a hundred sheep going from east to west. And then they met right at the crossroads. They didn't get mixed up because the sheep knew their shepherd. The sheep knew their master. They kept on going. They went through the, the mangle of all the sheep together. The sheep know their master. Those who believe know their master. But the story of Mary Magdalene, as, as depicted in the Gospel of John, is a very, is a very moving one. So we we learn these things so that we can help ourselves be be uh, disciples ourselves. How we can walk the walk. We don't have to be street evangelists, but we do need to know how to live, because people people watch people. And so they know, they know who you are by how you live. So I'm sure you know, see what's happening. Now the, here's, the, here's the transition, the big transition I would call it. In John's version of the gospel, after he says peace to his disciples twice, in other words, he's telling them, he's no longer the friend Jesus, he's the command or the commanding general, if you will. His status has changed from walking around with him to be one who is truly God, because he's already, uh, he's already been resurrected, he looks at them and he breathes on them. He breathes on them. You go back to Genesis chapter 2, God takes the dust and breathes on it and creates a living person, Adam. So Jesus was replicating what happened right at the very beginning. Our life, our breath, comes from God and comes from God alone. That's what's going on there. But there's the transition now. Jewish culture had gotten corrupted. And what Jesus did was not a revolution. Revolutions destroy. Jesus did not destroy Judaism or Israel. He fulfilled it. It's a fulfillment time. 
not a revolution destruction time. So now it's open to all. It's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles. And Peter got that revelation in, um, in Acts chapter 10 or 11, I think it is, where God brought the sheet down. All of a sudden, all of these things that Jewish laws had developed over the years to stop you from doing this, stop you from doing that, bad food, good food, anything the Lord has made is good. So this is the beginning of the church, but it's not the church. The church doesn't happen until about 40 days later on the day of Pentecost. Jesus has ascended, and Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit. Now when Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, he used the phrase, do not cling to me. But yet to other disciples, he showed him his wounds. I think the interpretation of that is that he's telling Mary, don't cling to the old ideas. Cling to the fulfillment of those prophecies, which is in me. So it's not like she didn't hug him or anything like that. It was like, it's now time to change. And this is the church. So it's like passing the mantle. Moses could not go into the promised land. So the mantle was passed to Joshua. Elijah, before he was taken up into heaven, passed the mantle on to Elisha, who wanted a double portion. So after Elisha, what was being preached was doubly preached from Elisha about the Lord. Israel gave way to Jesus, in a sense, passing the mantle. Now Jesus to the apostles. And then after Pentecost, the apostles, the Holy Spirit to the whole church. So now we see what our Christian identity is. Now we see who we are, who we love, and who we represent to the world. It's an awesome responsibility. And I don't mean awesome in a negative sense. It's awesome, the things that we are called to do. So in this, I would say, let us remember our inheritance. It's a long inheritance, and we don't want to lose it. And so here we practice it today and every day of the week. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>and go over to the menu item listed Donate to donate online. We appreciate any help that you can give, and we hope to see you soon. Come visit us on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible study and at 10.30 a.m. for Sunday worship. God bless.